Welcome to the Not Just a Mom Show, where we have open and honest conversations about the vulnerabilities and the victories within entrepreneurship and new motherhood. If we haven't met yet, I'm Nicole Pazvir, and I'm going to be your host. Here on the show, we don't subscribe to perfection. In fact, being present is the new perfect, and showing up messy is the new norm. My hope is that this podcast serves as a safe space for me and inspiration for you to stop living life watered down. Together, we will uncover versions of our most potent selves where we show up unapologetically, intentionally, and without filter. We are worthy, just as we are, as all that we are, not just the label we put on ourselves. We are more than just a mom, and I'm so glad you're here. So I am joined today by Elizabeth Meyer, who is my ex-co-host on our old podcast, The Brunch with Mamas. It was really important to me that I had her on this show and uh, sooner rather than later, just because she's really where it all started for me and my um, enjoyment in podcasting. And that's why I'm bringing it back. So here we are. Elizabeth is currently in Austria, where she's living with her uh husband and two babies and I'm still in Canada so (laughs) nothing's changed on my end thanks for having me and thanks for letting me be your first guest I'm super honored to be for those of you that don't know um Elizabeth and I have technically known each other since grade four uh we went to the same elementary junior high and high school um at the time she was living in Canada and then she is crazy and got herself into the sport of skeleton. She is actually a former Olympian and um, yeah, she ended up marrying an Austrian bobsledder. So that's why she lives in Austria now. And that's where she's growing her family and just kind of rocking mom life. So yeah, we've continued our friendship even though it's long distance now, but yeah, I'm super excited to have you here bit trickier to go for brunch or coffees or whatever but yeah we make distance work because friends yeah we make distance work um I would love to hear uh, I mean I sort of know the story but it's cool to listen in a more um direct conversation as opposed to like text messages every couple days (laughs) which is how a lot of our conversations happen I would love to hear just kind of your experience in your journey into motherhood and leaving sport and just all the things that come with that. Yeah, definitely. So I attended the Olympic Games in 2018 in Pyeongchang. And um, in 2019, I got pregnant. And now I had always seen like moms, there's a handful of moms before me that gave birth and then continued in their sporting career. And that was super inspiring and attractive for me. And I really thought, you know, like this is something that I really wanted to do. Um, my parents struggled with infertility. So Benny and I were just like, we'll get pregnant when we can get pregnant. And it happened way quicker than we expected. And ultimately gave birth in December 2019 to my son and started to come back to sport. And that was really important to me. Um to be able to keep our family together because my husband was still competing. Although he did say uh, if we decided then then was the time to leave sport, he would also uh, leave sport as well, which is super admirable. 
Um, but we decided what was best for our family. We're going to pause for a second because I have a little guest coming to join us. Oh, Luna is going to join us for a little while. Um, yeah, so I returned to sport less than 10 months after giving birth, returned to international competition, um, brought my son all over the world, brought him to China, brought him all over Europe and just competed for Canada. But my ultimate goal was to compete in the 2022 Olympic Games with Hendricks around. Unfortunately, due to some unforeseen circumstances, the, uh, my career got cut short. If you're really interested about that, you can go listen to the other podcast that Nicole and I did together, Brunch with Mama's podcast. We're dive in super deep on that, but that's not really why we're here to talk about today. But ultimately, we decided we wanted to continue to grow our family. And in April of last year, found out that we are pregnant again. Um, I do not suggest for people if you're going through a traumatic situation and you think you might be at a good point to immediately get pregnant like I did because hormones are really, really, really hard and bring back a lot of triggers and a lot of situations um, that are very difficult. And so I struggled a lot through pregnancy, not only with uh, morning sickness, but also hormones involved and just... Yeah, it took me a long time to kind of feel myself again. And I went from a situation where I've been an athlete my entire life, basically. And I was watching my body change and I didn't like the way it was changing. I didn't like seeing stretch marks. I didn't have them with Hendrix. I didn't like um, the cellulite that I had all over my body, which I never had before. And there was a lot of I don't want to say hatred that or disgust, I guess is probably a better word, um, towards my body as it was changing, growing this beautiful little girl inside me. And just I didn't like what I was seeing. So that was really, really difficult. But when you're so used to seeing your body in a certain way forever, um, really difficult. And it made pregnancy very, very hard as a whole. Did you experience similar feelings with your first pregnancy with Hendrix or was that a little bit different because you knew you were just going to get back into sport after it? You saw it as a temporary change. I saw it as a temporary change. I didn't have any stretch marks on my belly. I think I had like one little one on my side and um, I didn't have cellulite. I was still very strong. Like I hadn't lost any of my muscle tone really throughout that pregnancy. Um, but going into pregnancy with Luna, I was a lot less fit and I wasn't at that highest level that I was going into Hendrix's. Um, yeah, and I wasn't, I guess in part, it kind of goes into that transformation of motherhood. And although I was already a mom of one, I still very much had that title of athlete still mm -hmm. on my <laughs> on my resume and I was returning to an athlete everyone knew I was returning to an athlete um funnily enough people ask me since giving birth to her oh, are you making a comeback again mm, like it's almost an expectation because you did it the first time not just an expectation but also a uh, misunderstanding not realizing the amount of actual work that it 
went in to having a comeback and have a comeback without the support of a federation, without all of this. Now add a second child into it. I'm like, that's impossible. Um, Benny would support me had I chosen to do that, but it's just not the right decision. Can we kind of go back to um, when you're freshly postpartum with Hendrix and you do have full intentions um, of making a comeback in sport and you're jumping right back into your training and stuff, what that was like for you, especially being in Austria without your family, without your um Canadian village and just like speaking to what that was like. Sounds good. So yeah, so after I gave birth to Hendrix and it being a C-section, everything like this, my mom stayed with us until February, I think, end of February, beginning of March. And then COVID kicked off. Um, so we were supposed to ter- return to Calgary, I think, in April and be a part, like have my community with me and just really kickstart that comeback but because of covid everything got changed everything stalled i had this false expectation that my son would sleep and he was a terrible sleeper i mean he had meningitis as well um all sorts of different things which just made this comeback significantly harder than i could have ever imagined not just because there's a pandemic worldwide. I also didn't have my parents, so I'm extremely close with nearby. Um, they were going to be instrumental in like helping with childcare so that both Benny and I could train. And it's like, no, we had to adjust and change to make it happen. And just like, I remember training till 10 p.m. at night, um, just trying to fit in workouts like where I could. Because I literally, like, there wasn't enough time in the day. Plus, Hendrix was sleeping like garbage. Um, And this, I was really not prepared for how hard it would have been. Like, I'd seen other parents do it before. I knew it was possible. But sleep deprivation is no joke. C-section is no joke. Um... And trying to like get into best physical shape as I've ever been was also no joke. And I think another aspect that really isn't talked a lot about is the fact you were also breastfeeding and just the mineral and nutrient depletion that our body goes through during pregnancy and then postpartum recovery and then to continue breastfeeding and basically feed and sustain your child all while trying to be this top athlete like I can't even imagine because I can barely keep up with like my baseline self let alone going to run a marathon yeah and that was I think um, like so I mean one of the most famous people to give birth and return to sport was Serena Williams and I, I really admire what she was able to do but my good friend Alana who is also a mama um she's in bobsled gave birth around the same time that I did we did our comebacks kind of simultaneously but she said one thing that Serena had that we didn't have was like a night nanny a consistent person that was with their baby during the night and the finances to be able to do that so I think I underestimated really how hard it was going to be for the comeback but then also the tour life on top of that because although we were together as a family we weren't really together Benny was still with Austria 
And I was in my own little island with my mom without any team support as well. So the transition that way was I brought my son on tour and I think I did the best I could do for being a mama and an athlete. But I don't think I was the best mama I could be if I wasn't an athlete. I certainly was not the best athlete I could be if I wasn't a mama. Yeah, the two um, collided. Yeah. <clears throat> However, as an athlete, my levels raised for other reasons because I was not going to waste two years of Hendrix's life. So my actual work ethic was at a level that I had never seen before. Right. And you achieved some personal best and stuff in your career. Definitely. And like moving hundreds of kilos of weight in some very technical lifts, like things that I could would struggle with prior to Hendrix, I was able to do afterwards. So the body is incredible. It is amazing. But if I look back and I see, was I the best mama I could be? And was I the best athlete I could be? I would say probably, if I'm looking at it honestly, no. So to do that with two kids would be, I no, it's not, it's not for me. Right. You didn't want to compromise your mothering abilities. And you also didn't want to show up as a half-assed athlete. Like you wanted to give it your all in whatever realm you were going to put your energy in which I mean you've known me you've known me nearly 20 years coming up in September holy crap um I've never done anything half-assed oh gosh no no you also like don't waste your time you are very considerate about the energy that you're putting into something and yeah just doing it with full intention and full presence and that's super honorable to my own demise in some situations especially when we were younger <laughs> um but I I did not want to waste yeah so anyways that's kind of what happened after Hendrix am I I'm super thankful that I was able to do it and I learned a lot and I have a lot of admiration for the mamas that continue to do it. Um, but I also think it's important for mamas to speak about the reality of it and that it was a lot harder than I ever could have imagined. Um, and that doesn't really get spoken about because you really only see like the women finishing the marathons or you just see the outcome. Yeah, and you're not seeing the sleep deprived. I'm walking upstairs for hours on end till 10 p.m. at night because the only time I can train. And uh, yeah, that being said, if you have a passion, don't let motherhood prevent it or stop it. Try it. You'll learn a buttload. And then you'll be like, I don't know if that was the best idea. Wasn't the worst. Um, Maybe let's pivot into that now about passions and about just how to follow your passions while also obviously honoring motherhood and the responsibilities that come with that and just what that's looked like for you. Um, you can talk about while being in sport, but also since being out of sport and kind of how things have transformed for you. Yeah. So when my career ended, there was always an open end. If I wanted to go back to sport, I could do as an athlete potentially in a different sport, potentially oh, for sure for a different nation um, and what that would all look like. 
Right. You had options. I had options. Yeah. It wasn't like you had like a physical injury that like was totally closing the door. It was just, yeah. Okay. So that's kind of an interesting place to start because here you are in a, in a position where something has been stripped beneath your feet, but the door isn't completely closed and you still have some sense of power in the sense that you have choices and decisions to make while also trying to determine if you want to continue to grow your family or just like what's next. Yeah. And that, that was, I mean, Benny, so then also makes in a husband that's still very active in the sport because I retired in October of 2021. He didn't retire till March of 2022 and still was fighting for an Olympic medal, which was my dream. And stop it all off. He was the opening uh, ceremonies flag bearer uh, for the 2022 Olympics. She didn't really care that he was picked. And this was a dream of mine. That was always like, if I go to the Olympics, I would be so honored to one day carry the flag. And this really taught me a lot about having two feelings at once. Where it's like, I am so, so, so proud of you, my husband, who I love and have chosen for the rest of my life. And um, I'm really jealous and really sad about what, about me. And um, thankfully, my husband is super understanding. And he's like, I know you're happy for me. And I know you're sad. And that's okay. You had space to feel both. Yeah. And he allowed me to feel both. And my parents allowed me to feel both because I ended up living with them during um, since October, basically, until February. And I had the support that way. That was an interesting learning curve for me because, like, I had heard about feeling two emotions at once. But then actually living it, I'm sure I lived it prior. But I didn't have that space to really acknowledge those two feelings. I think it also takes a level of self-compassion too and not having judgment on yourself for feeling one thing or the other. And I think that's a really important skill to have in motherhood because um, the juxtaposition and the duality of mixed emotions and mixed feelings is huge in motherhood. (laughs) Definitely. And that followed me into my second pregnancy with Luna because I was like, I'm super thankful that I'm pregnant, but I also hate this right now. And I don't like the feeling of being pregnant. I didn't like watching my body change, but I'm so thankful for this human that's growing inside of me and the gift that she is. But I was miserable at the same time. So thankfully, I kind of had practice with these duality of feelings in the year prior, the few months prior. To continue feeling these things. Also, in this time, my husband got accepted to med school. So we also settled in Austria. Right. So another big transition and another instance of almost feeling like you don't have options, yet at the same time being in complete control. And like you guys did have the power to make these decisions and decide where you're going to live and where Benny was going to go to school. But again, I can just imagine some mixed emotions of like, obviously Austria is what made sense. So the weight of choosing that um, 
probably took over. And but it and like logically it all makes sense. But Canada would Canada was is still my home. Yeah. But finally choosing it, like I mean, I've been back and forth for seven years between Austria and Canada. It's a, a sense of finality. And so now my athletic career is over. I I've selected a new nation to live in. So that was hard because athletes, when they retire, or a lot of athletes just never retire, right? Like they just either keep going and going and going and going because that fear of the unknown is really difficult. But now, since giving birth and seeing this beautiful girl on Earth's side and my hormones like leveling out a lot, is that I haven't been nearly as happy as I am now, as I've been in many, many years and content and not searching for other things. Not saying that I don't slip back into those. I mean, last week was very hard and had similar feelings of like inadequacy, which was my sport life for a long time and never feeling good enough. And all of this seep into motherhood where then I feel like I'm not a good enough mama because for years I was told I was not a good enough athlete. But the the years that I endured as an athlete where it was horrendous and terrible and all of this, I was still afraid to leave the sport because there was a consistency. There was an easiness to it. I knew exactly what I was doing Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday. There was no questions until the competitions. Then you compete and you cards land where they may but then when you step away from something that's so consistent I mean you've experienced this too you stepped away from a nursing job which is consistent you knew what you were doing I was just gonna say that like for people that don't have the sporting career that you had like people can still kind of relate this into their own life in the sense of whatever career path they have chosen like it's not uncommon for people to kind of have a toxic relationship with their work and yet want to continue in that place of work or that career path because it's comfortable and it's familiar and it's it feels like the lesser of two evils and I experienced that like it felt easier just to stay in nursing than to leave and I mean thankfully birth and motherhood um kind of gave me the the opportunity to exit but without that like it would have been incredibly hard and new is scary um yeah because the consistency you know it is that comfort zone for a long time and so when I finally like yeah decided okay I'm done sport it took nearly a year or more than I took a year about until I felt okay again and excited about other opportunities and the opportunities I have now, I'm significantly more excited for than I was even through my comeback, which I was super passionate and excited about, but it, it was almost out of um, like a desire to prove people wrong, which is a great motivator, but it's also very unhealthy motivator. Whereas you and I off air, we were talking about, well, what kind of what looks next for me. And um, I've since been uh, voted in 
for the executive committee. So the International Bobsled Skeleton Federation Board. Um, so I'm now an athlete representative. I've got voting rights. I'm still involved in the sport of skeleton. And for a while, I wasn't sure if I was going to continue in sport. And do I really want to work in sport? What are my other options? Okay, there's architecture that I was interested in. There was even nursing that I was interested in. Um, but when I looked at architecture as a great example, um, if I look at a building, if I design a building and I look at it, there's not going to be that gratification that I would have if you actually impact a person's life. Like you could be like, oh, that's a cool building. Yeah, I made that or designed that. But like, it's not, <laughs> it doesn't have the same impact if you're actually able to impact someone's life. So that's where the nursing thought came in because I had an incredible nurse when I was in the hospital with Luna and how she affected me. I was like, oh my gosh, like I could be that for someone's, another mom as well. But then ultimately it brought me back to sport. And I said to you off air and I said, I, when I started skeleton, I always wanted to leave this sport like a better place than I found it. And through my athletic career, it wasn't possible. But now I have incredible opportunities to still be a part of the sport and change it for good is my goal <laughs> and leave it a better place than I found it. But that wouldn't have been possible without all the other hard, hard stuff as well in those transitions and, and stepping into scary. I mean, I've talk through lots of athletes like who are do I retire do I continue do I retire I'm like it's gonna be hard for a year maybe a little bit longer maybe a little bit shorter it's gonna be hard but then you're gonna get excited and passionate about other things which you didn't have before and I think it's really cool like to think about how okay let's say let's say this opportunity was given to you several years ago before you had the experiences you did as an athlete the perspective and the biases and just like the experience under your belt wouldn't have shaped you into the person you are now and you wouldn't be able to have the same kind of influence that you could now so you almost needed you needed your experience you needed all those years you needed um yep. the perspective of being an athlete in um, the corrupt situation that you were in in order to, I think, have some of the passions that you have now. Like, I think that's kind of what shaped, what shaped you into where you are now, which is so cool. And the athlete advocacy as well. And like the motherhood advocacy too, because I think should any female athlete decide they wish to have a baby and come back to sport, there needs to be the supports in place to make that happen. Um, and now I have lived experience. I've seen what the absolute, I think one of the most absolute worst situations of having a child and having no support. So learning from that, how can I help future mothers as well? Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on about the lack of village that culturally um, we provide to mothers. And it was just like completely exaggerated in sport. And it was awful to hear the experiences that you had and the way you were treated and just like the politics around it. It is so messed up. Like we are in 2023. Um, things should be better by now and they're not. 
we have a far, a long ways to go. That being said, um, although the politics are horrendous, especially around having become a mother, the athletes themselves were all extra aunts and uncles to Hendrix. Like nearly every single one of them. We spent three weeks in China and the Olympic champion, double Olympic champion, one of the most decorated bobsled pilots in the world is chasing Hendrix and playing with him in, in the dining hall. And it's like, that was cool because the athletes appreciated that family aspect and that, and, and, um, admired what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But still you had to create that village. Yeah, I did. Like a systemic level and culturally in society, like we aren't set up for that. And you had to kind of go outside to build that for yourself. Yep. And um, I would say sport is still very much like an old boys club. Mm-hmm. Even in the female side of it. Um, so there are those supports in place to, uh, like we talked about, where I said I wasn't the best mom I could be and I wasn't the best athlete I could be. That's not saying that would be forever. That's just under the current regime, that's how it is, or under the current circumstances. But I would say with adequate support, that could be a different question. I mean, like I said, Serena Williams was able to do that. Right. With a huge amount of support. And I mean, the financial budget I could only dream of. Yeah. But that's not my story, and that's okay. But like you said, if I didn't have these experiences, I wouldn't be able to advocate for female athletes like I did. I wouldn't be able to advocate for skeleton athletes the way I am and look for opportunities to grow the sport that I do genuinely love. It gets me excited. It gets me passionate. All of this. It's a lot. Like, it's a lot to, I mean, I've always just kind of looked at your life with my jaw to the ground because like we've always said it your life is bananas (laughs) you you have always done like the crazy and the unthinkable at least like what I consider crazy and what I consider unthinkable because I live let's just say like I live a very um I don't vanilla lifestyle is almost the word that's coming to mind right I've always kind of just done what's expected of me I've always um just tried to fit in and kind of followed the status quo and I went and got um the job that I thought was going to be well respected and secure and then married house dogs family like all in the order that I think society respects and not to say that you haven't done any of those things but like you have truly always just marched to the beat because like if you think like when we were younger I was sixth grade when I shaved my head like for cancer for no for a fundraiser for cancer research yeah. or whatever yeah but I never I mean it's interesting because I've mentioned this to another friend recently is that I I like I never felt I was ever in a situation in school in junior high high school elementary where I was ever bullied I it, I would do what I would do sure people would make fun of me but it's never it was never really bullying or affected me like this right you didn't internalize it yeah and and I actually don't think I ever was bullied but as an adult 
I have been bullied a lot. And those lessons I've had to learn from this also have helped me, I think, become to the place where I am now, where I can accurately advocate for athletes and the rights of athletes and protections and all of this and make skeleton better. I love that. It's always been such an honor to just watch you um, gracefully pave your way through life. (laughs) I said that with um, a touch of sarcasm. Um, But like, truly though, like, while maybe it doesn't look graceful to other people, like I do see it as graceful because it's always been you following your own inner compass and just really like aligning with your center. And yeah, like the authenticity that you have embodied has been a constant in your life. And there's not a lot of people that I could say that about. Well, thank you, first and foremost. You're welcome. I won't get any more mushy than that. That's about as mushy as I'm going to get. I would like to quickly talk about, you mentioned some themes of like feeling inadequate and just not feeling good enough, whether in sport and in motherhood. And I think those are feelings that a lot of mothers can relate with. So I'd like to just quickly touch on some of that before we wrap up. And I guess like more so like, how you've actually navigated those feelings and worked through them because now you're now you're at a place where you can say that you're the happiest you've ever, you've ever been and the most content you've ever been and so just how did you work through those feelings how did i work through those feelings uh therapy no i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> no um well no therapy's great everyone should do it uh whether you feel good or not i mean um That's a good one. I think one of the biggest things is like bad parents are not concerned if they're being good or bad parents. (laughs) Um, And I'm not in a comparison game or something like this because um, there's always that fear of your inadequacy, especially if you are raising humans. Because you don't want them to be poops. <laughs> you want them to be well-adjusted, loved, um, excited about the world. But I think, like, there's a combination between inadequacy and imposter syndrome as well. Because if you've ever been told you're not enough in your life, um, and I, I was told that a lot in my sporting career, that seeps into motherhood. Not having a crying baby on my hands. Luna said goodbye. She's gone night night for the night, everybody. She's good. She's tired. Anyways, um, whenever in your life you're told you're not good enough for whatever reason, and this was told to me lots directly and indirectly within my sporting career, it's easy that that slips into other aspects of your life, which then leads to imposter syndrome as well. So I had that feeling where if I wasn't good enough in sport, how would I be ever good enough to be a mom, a good mom? 
I mean, I am a mom, that's not going away. Um, but the quality aspect to it, and that's really tricky to be able to separate the feelings I had um, from sport and to actually look at the truth of it. Like people say you remember one negative thing to every hundred positive things people have said to you or whatever it may be. And Benny has a good point. He's like, the people that told you you were garbage in sport knew nothing about the sport Mm -hmm. as well. And they knew nothing about my actual value and worth within the sport. Much like the people that are questioning and challenging your parenting abilities are often not mothers, right? Yeah, and not involved or don't know the context. Yeah, and... Or ha- don't have the lived experience as well. I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw you under the bus right here. I right know. Now. I was about to bring it up myself. Go for it. <laughs> so I gave birth before Nicole gave birth, and my son slept like poop, and Nicole's daughter sleeps like poop. And um, in Austria, it's very common to co-sleep. So he co-slept with us. He slept like garbage. He was up tons. Blah 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 is from you where you're like you need to sleep train you gotta sleep train time to sleep train blah 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 and I was like okay whatever funnily enough and unfortunately (laughs) little Aubrey also doesn't like to sleep hey Nicole oh little Aubrey does not like to sleep and it is this is such a perfect example because prior to becoming a mom and prior to doing any sort of education I was completely wrapped up into society's narrative that you have to train your kids to sleep and that kids are supposed to sleep in their bed and not your bed and I mean at this point I probably also believe that babies should be born in hospital and thankfully um when I was pregnant and um preparing for birth and motherhood and postpartum and all the things I was very open and I did a lot of unlearning and I did a lot of um challenging of the social constructs and norms and um I have since shed that belief I think sleep training is a load of baloney and if you follow me on Instagram you will know that I am um a fierce co-sleeping and breastfeeding advocate and I since now know and believe from my own experience that babies don't need to be born in hospital first-time moms can have home births um So yeah, a lot has changed, but it is just a perfect example of people can be so quick to judge and make comments or statements or think they know better than you when they don't have any experience to back it up. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us to kind of check our biases and check our perspectives and like, where are those beliefs truly coming from? Are they our own or are they fed to us from? our family upbringing, from Hollywood, society, wherever it is, and just like the opportunity to question things, like, does it make sense? And so for me, I thought it was completely bananas to have your baby sleeping in bed with you. And now I couldn't imagine life any different. Here we are over 18 months of still co-sleeping. Aubrey has never slept in her own bed. Um, It's just funny how things completely change. So Things completely. And then, well, I'm also going to throw in there, like, um, acknowledging your triggers as well. Because, for example, I had a sport-related trigger last week, even. 
and it was uh, again a feeling of inadequacy that I uh, inadequacy that I had and I let that seep into my motherhood as well where it's like then I must then I'm I'm just so overwhelmed with this and blah 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 and it kind of intertwined itself and made itself really ugly and um difficult to separate the two so then by the end of the day I'm just completely like feeling like garbage and I'm a terrible mom and 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 whereas the trigger wasn't even related to motherhood it was related to stuff in my past and related to sport um so it's just also interesting to be able to acknowledge understand that and see how your triggers can kind of sneak into a different area completely of your life as well yeah there's two things I'm pulling from that from what you were saying one is it's important to kind of bring awareness to those triggers so that you can detach from them and not let them um encompass all the other aspects of your life because like you just pointed out it's so easy for them to seep through and that feeling of inadequacy while it was just over one thing is now over everything um and then the second part and you didn't necessarily touch on this but it was just something that I was reflecting on as I was listening was um how inadequacy and um, imposter syndrome and whatever else you want to call it, I think the root of it all often comes from comparison. We're comparing ourselves to others and also just our own self-worth. Like, I think really that is the deepest root of it all is how we value ourselves and how we see ourselves. And um, just if we believe in ourselves to just be the best that we can be. And if if that self-worth piece isn't there, then it's just really hard to overcome all the other challenges that pop up. And I think it's more than just a mindset shift. I think it's more than just talking yourself out of it and um, positive self-talk. I think it's something that needs to become a way of life and something that you truly embody. And that confidence comes from um, like a deep self-love. And unfortunately, that hasn't really been modeled to us. It hasn't been modeled to us. And another tricky thing is, I mean, you're now a stay-at-home mama, uh, officially also entrepreneur or whichever route you want to say first. Um, But for lots of years, stay-at-home moms were really looked down upon and that you're taking a step back in your career or whatever it may be or... um, because I'm also a stay-at-home mom, or it's a feeling, uh, this is actually a really big one for me, it's a feeling of not contributing to the family. Yeah, and we've talked about this off-air too, where, um, yeah, like this feeling of, I mean, it's not even necessarily about money, although I think that's a big part of it, right? If we're not bringing in money, we're not sharing, because we've we've kind of grown up in a world um, where a lot of people we're close with are dual income families and I know myself and Dylan like we created a lifestyle where we were a dual income family and so for me to step away from that and um basically choose not to pull my weight because that's ultimately what it felt like right it was almost like we had this unspoken agreement that we're both going to work we're both going to um bring in income and contribute and all these things and so 
outside of me making the choice, which was supported by my husband. I will say that, but, but still by making that choice, a part of me felt like I wasn't carrying my weight of that unspoken pact we made. And I, th- I think we can both agree that both of our husbands have never intentionally or would make us feel this way. This is definitely both of us an internal. I know in Lisa my situation, it was never um, a feeling nor, and Benny quite says the exact opposite. He knows that. So does Dylan. But it doesn't matter how many times it's said to me. And this is why I was saying like it goes past positive self-talk and thinking your way out of it because it doesn't matter how many times we're told or how many times we um, tell ourselves differently if we're not truly feeling it from our core it's really hard to move past it definitely and like Benny Sim for me is that like he's becoming a doctor as well he's in med school right now so it's tricky right now ish financially but he's like you know he's saying to me I never have to work again once he's out of med school but I don't want that um, because I've got other passions and things that excite me, but I don't want to feel like I have to do something just simply to fill and check that box as well. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because child minding, keeping the house, like doing the stay at home mom gig is really hugely contributing to the family. And it's so important and it's so undervalued. I'm very blessed to live in a very social nation uh, where it's encouraged for the mom to stay home at least two years, uh, if not longer. And um, it's it's cheap to get childcare here if they're under, uh, if they're 18 months or older, but it's, uh, you got to be working or whatever, but there's support for you as a mom to take two and a half, three years off so that you can really bond with your child and that's that's not a North American norm and it's weird for me to see but um one really cool thing is that my mother-in-law she had four children and got her master's degree at 50. So there's really no timeline on when you need to get an education or start working or or anything like this. So that's also cool. I love that reminder because I think for a lot of us, um, a sense of urgency and getting stuck in this, um, the pressure of the timeline and all of that can feel really heavy. So yeah, just this reminder that it's never too late to go back to school. It's never too late to um, do a career shift. It's never too late for anything. And also, as we've kind of already talked about, sometimes you need certain experiences in your life to Uh, reignite a passion or to even fuel the passion or to give you the experience to be influential with that passion or to even create create a passion because I've said this to you before because prior to birth you didn't have this passion for birth work you didn't have this fire before so you need those experiences and I'll say this again to you is I'm super excited and I'm super happy for you to see you chasing your passion because it's the first time I've ever seen and we've known each other for 20 years. And for me, that's exciting because I chased my passion. I still am to an extent for that amount of time nearly as well. So I'm excited you joined the passion train. I'm excited that you found it. 
Thank you, friend. That's definitely enough mushiness from the two of us for like a year. <laughs> we are not usually this mushy. Um, but no, you, you're right. Like, I think you like um, hit the nail on the head there. Like, I really haven't had a true passion that I've been excited to follow before, except for my love for eating donuts. And again, this was kind of brought up off air just before we started hitting record about just my ability and my desire to speak my truth, even if it might make someone else uncomfortable. I've never done that before. But I've never actually had that desire because I've never had something I'm so passionate about that I feel the need to speak up to it. So that's really cool because I don't even remember. I think we were talking about sleep training. And I definitely had no intentions of bringing sleep training into this conversation. But I had brought up something and you're like, oh, I'm not in I'm not in the in the um, I don't want to ruffle feathers like you do. And it's just so different because it's so much easier to ruffle feathers if it's something you're passionate about. Because sport all day, I'll ruffle all them feathers. I will advocate for athletes so I'm blue in the face. I think this is a good place to wrap it up. So I think uh, if you take anything away from this episode, it's go follow your passions. And find what lights your soul on fire. And new is scary, but it's a good scary. All of the above. Anyways, it was lovely to catch up with you, friend. I love you. I miss you. We will. I'll have you back on the show sometime soon. Okay, before you go, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you were thinking of anyone while listening, please send it their way. And if anything resonated with you or you love these conversations, please subscribe and leave a review. This really helps the podcast algorithms um, put my show in front of more people just like you. And the last thing, I would love nothing more than hearing from you. So say hi, DM me on Instagram and give me a follow at Nicole Pazvier. Until next time.